Wessex Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Withered Arm, read by Tige Hines. Chapter Six: A Second Attempt. Half a dozen years passed away, and Mr. and Mrs. Lodge's married experience sank into prosiness and worse. The farmer was usually gloomy and silent. The woman, whom he had wooed for her grace and beauty, was contorted and disfigured in the left limb. Moreover, she had brought him no child, which rendered it likely that he would be the last of a family who had occupied that valley for some two hundred years. He thought of Rhoda Brook and her son, and feared this might be a judgment from heaven upon him. The once blithe-hearted and enlightened Gertrude was changing into an irritable and superstitious woman whose whole time was given to experimenting upon her ailment with every crack remedy she came across. She was honestly attached to her husband, and was ever secretly hoping against hope to win back his heart again by regaining some at least of her personal beauty. Hence it arose that her closet was lined with bottles, packets, and ointment-pots of every description, nay, bunches of mystic herbs, charms, and books of necromancy, which in her schoolgirl time she would have ridiculed as folly. "'Damned if you won't poison yourself with these apothecary messes and witch-mixtures some time or other,' said her husband, when his eye chanced to fall upon the multitudinous array. She did not reply, but turned her sad, soft glance upon him in such a heart-swollen reproach that he looked sorry for his words, and added, "'I only meant it for your good, you know, Gertrude.' "'I'll clear out the whole lot and destroy them,' she said huskily, "'and try such remedies no more.' "'You want somebody to cheer you,' he observed. I once thought of adopting a boy, but he's too old now, and he's gone away, and I don't know where." She guessed to whom he alluded, for Rhoda Brook's story had in the course of years become known to her, though not a word had ever passed between her husband and herself on the subject. Neither had she ever spoken to him of her visit to Conjurer Trendle, and of what was revealed to her, or she thought was revealed to her, by that solitary heath-man. She was now five-and-twenty, but she seemed older. Six years of marriage and only a few months of love, she sometimes whispered to herself. And then she thought of the apparent cause, and said with a tragic glance at her withering limb, If I could only again be as I was when he first saw me. She obediently destroyed her nostrums and charms, but there remained a hankering wish to try something else, some other sort of cure altogether. She had never revisited Trendle since she had been conducted to the house of the solitary by Rhoda against her will. But it now suddenly occurred to Gertrude that she would, in a last desperate effort at deliverance from this seeming curse, again seek out the man if he yet lived. He was entitled to a certain credence, for the indistinct form he had raised in the glass had undoubtedly resembled the only woman in the world who, as she now knew, though not then, could have a reason for bearing her ill-will. The visit should be paid. This time she went alone, though she nearly got lost on the heath, and roamed a considerable distance out of her way. Trendle's house was reached at last, however. He was not indoors, and instead of waiting at the cottage, she went to where his bent figure was pointed out to her at work a long way off. Trendle remembered her, and laying down the handful of furze roots which she was gathering and throwing into a heap, he offered to accompany her in her homeward direction, as the distance was considerable and the days were short. So they walked together, his head bowed nearly to the earth, and his form of a colour with it. "'You can send away warts and other excrescences, I know,' she said. "'Why can't you send away this?' And the arm was uncovered. "'You think too much of my powers,' said Trendle. "'And I am old and weak now, too. No, 
No, it is too much for me to attempt in my own person. What have ye tried?' She named to him some of the hundred medicaments and counter-spells which she had adopted from time to time. He shook his head. "'Some were good enough,' he said approvingly, "'but not many of them for such as this. This is of the nature of a blight, not of the nature of a wound, and if you ever do throw it off, it will be all at once.' "'If only I could!' "'There's only one chance of doing it known to me. It has never failed in kindred afflictions, that I can declare. But it is hard to carry out, and especially for a woman.' "'Tell me,' said she, "'you must touch with the limb the neck of a man who's been hanged.' She started a little at the image he had raised. "'Before he's cold, just after he's cut down,' continued the conjurer impassively. "'How can that do good?' "'It will turn the blood and change the constitution. But, as I say, to do it is hard. You must get into jail and wait for him when he's brought off the gallows. Lots have done it, though perhaps not such pretty women as you. I used to send dozens for skin complaints, but that was in former times.' The last I sent was in thirteen, nearly twenty years ago." He had no more to tell her, and when he had put her into a straight track homeward, turned and left her, refusing all money as at first. End of chapter 6